that was beautiful. Thank you, Ari. And it is good to be back inside with this service. We really do have three groups in Mercy Road Church. One is more comfortable watching online right now in the pandemic. And if you're joining us online, we uh, miss you and we are here with you digitally and we're glad to worship with you. The other group uh, wants to worship outside. And so we had a very wonderful outdoor service at nine o'clock this morning and that was beautiful in the sunshine and uh, all the green trees behind us in that service, and then now we have our 1030 indoors, so it's good to be with you. We're starting a new sermon series today called Lessons from Lockdown. Lessons from Lockdown. You see where we got that phrase? We have been in lockdown, and even as things open back up and we go through the reentry process in different, different uh, venues like churches, I do think you would be a rare exception to not have been asked the question, how do you think things will be different after the pandemic? Raise your hand if you, you've been talking with other people about that. What lessons are we gonna learn from that? What will change? What will airline uh, and travel industry look like? And, and how's it all gonna work? And social justice and everything is changing. So today, we start a series that will be in for the majority of the summer in the book of Philippians. Philippians is actually a big thank you note that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that he had planted several years earlier in Philippi. Philippi is a Roman colony known for uh, a high population of military veterans who were given pension and land there. And to be honest, it was not one of the easier churches that Paul planted. He faced a lot of trouble and hardship. He was beaten up, he was imprisoned, he went through an earthquake, he was forced to leave town at one point, and even the, the converts, those who trusted in Christ, made his life difficult at times, and yet, mysteriously, Paul, despite all that negativity, writes this letter to the Philippians, and it's his happiest letter. 17 times in this short letter, a form of the word happy, or joy, or rejoice is used. And Paul is writing this, believe it or not, from prison. The guy is in chains. Now, just to, to educate us a little bit on what prison looked like uh, when you were a royal prisoner, he was a royal prisoner of Nero, a, a guy who was a very cruel emperor. You were on lockdown 24 hours a day, and what that looked like is a guard would take a four-hour shift to be chained up to you as a prisoner. So every four hours, you get a new guard. Some of you in, in lockdown and quarantine wish that you could get a new four-hour representative because you're just burnt out with the one that you're, you're in the house with. Uh, but, but really think about that because historians actually believe the fact that Paul was chained to that many different guards for two years, that really is responsible for the conversion of the entire Roman Empire. But that's not what Paul wanted. Paul's vision initially was to go to Rome and to preach to large crowds, to preach in the Colosseum, kind of a Billy Graham-style crusade, and then he finds himself in chains. It's also worth noting that Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament in this season of lockdown. And that's really the first... Uh, thing to, to jot down if you want to take notes at home or here. Never assume God can't work wonders in lockdown. Never underestimate what God 
can do in circumstances that feel constricting, in, in literal chains. I did the math here, and if Paul was in prison for two years during that stint, uh, and every four hours a guard was switched out, that would have meant that Paul witnessed to 4,380 guards. 4,380 guards, or at least rotations of guards. So you kind of got to ask yourself, who's the real prisoner at that point? We have good information from historians that within a year of his two-year imprisonment, several members of the royal family of the emperor become Christians. He infiltrated the most ironclad, militant dictatorship on planet Earth, the Roman Empire, from prison. And if God can do that, what does he want to do in your lockdown and in my lockdown, in our restrictions? It's worth in this series just to step back and say, maybe my plans aren't really the best way to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. Maybe he's going to use something that seems constricting, illogical, frustrating, unintuitive for his glory, because that's exactly what he does. I'm going to read the beginning uh, of this letter. He opens up with an introduction. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Can you feel the joy emanating from Paul? It's interesting, um, you know, I was a 28-year-old lead pastor years ago at a different church. I was pretty young for a lead pastor. I can't believe they let me do that. And I was preaching this sermon series at the time called Unsinkable Joy. It was cute. I, I thought of a little prop. It was a little yellow duck, rubber duck that you put in the bathtub. And I would say every Sunday as we went through Romans chapter 8, and we talked about non-circumstantial Christian joy and the nature of joy that, that goes beyond our circumstances, I would take this little duck and I would say, imagine if you took this little rubber ducky and you just hurled it into the ocean in the middle of a typhoon or a big storm, there's no wave strong enough to sink that little rubber duck. And that's kind of how it is with unsinkable joy, the Christian joy that we have in Christ that's not tied to our circumstances. Anyways, I thought I knocked it out of the park. And then Ralph comes up to me. Ralph's a really nice older gentleman afterwards, but he's the kind of guy that, you know, always has a little critique after the sermon, and he goes, hmm, unsinkable joy. Well, pastor, 
I'd be very curious in a few years of suffering if you still feel the same way you feel. He basically said, you really haven't seen enough in life to make the statement that joy is attainable outside of circumstances. Now, I kind of took offense to that because I had just come back from a pretty difficult tour in Iraq uh, the previous year, and, and I thought, come on, I've, I've suffered. But, but what's interesting is I've thought about this in preparing for this uh, sermon on series called uh, Lessons from Lockdown because there's a lot of parallels. And if you would have told me then, Ralph's kind of right. You have seen suffering, but you're going to see more. You're going to bury good friends. You're going to go through difficult things in your life as a pastor and church transitions. You're going to be brought to places you never thought you'd be brought to. You're going to experience a global pandemic. You're going to watch the streets of South Minneapolis burn. I just would have said, whoa, that little rubber ducky needs to be reinforced, I guess. But here's what I've learned. Ralph might have been right, that I may have been a bit naive at that, that moment. But Paul, the apostle, is even more right that there is a level of happiness and joy that we can find in our lives that is not tied to our circumstances. He's living proof of it, my friends. He's in prison. He doesn't know if he's going to be put to death or if he'll be let loose. And later on in the series, we'll investigate some of his words where he kind of reasons to himself, my circumstances are so bad right now that I, I guess I'd be okay if I died because then I'd be present with Christ in the flesh. And there's nothing better than that. But then again, you know, I should probably keep going here to serve other people because that'll be for their good. And he goes, win-win either way. So he's admitting life is really hard right now. And I think that's important for some of us. Is life really hard for you right now? Does this uncertainty and unrest in the news cycle just feel heavy? It, It feels heavy for me. It was hard to see the burned out streets of South Minneapolis. This pandemic and the effects on the economy, this is painful stuff. It's not easy. It's constricting. It feels like a hundred different things are locked down right now. And yet, Paul doesn't dwell on that. He writes the most positive, joy-filled thank you letter for somebody risking their lives to bring him some financial aid to stay alive in prison. And in this letter this summer, we're going we're gonna to learn lesson after lesson. If you're taking notes, the first one was never assume God can't work wonders in a lockdown. In other words, just keep an open mind and an open heart about this. The second lesson from lockdown is to be grateful for the people in your life. Notice verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. Think of how profound that little statement is. I mean, have you ever written a letter to anyone saying that? Hey, dear Bill, I thank my God every time I think of you. Every time you come to mind, gratitude comes to mind. When you think of the people in your life, is gratitude the first thought? When you think about your spouse, does gratitude pop up right away? Or your kids, or your parents, or your friends, or your boss, or your employees? Does gratitude just well up? Or, if you're like most people, does critique 
complaining, judgment, productivity come to mind. Oh, I'm thinking about this person, and this is what I need from them to get the mission done. I'm thinking about this person. This is how they're useful to me. I'm thinking about this person. Oh, they bug me. <laughs> I'm thinking about this person. If they would just change the following eight character traits by this much, then I could handle them. Then I would be psyched to be around them. Paul is writing to some people who bugged him, who are not easy to love. And he said, every time you come to mind, gratitude comes to mind. It kind of reminds me of the, the preacher that said, this is how you, you, you deal with difficult people in your life. You just tell them, oh, you are such a blessing to my spiritual formation, right? Because you're like the sandpaper that kind of rubs off the rough edges of my character, and it takes all these fruits of the Spirit to, to put up with this person but that's really not what Paul's saying. What he's saying is, I have sincere gratitude for every person I do life with. Do you know that this is a habit you can cultivate? It's a discipline, it's a muscle you can build? What would it look like today if you just made a list of, I don't know, your five to 10 closest associates, people in your life, and you just disciplined yourself to say, I'm gonna just make three to five bullet notes of what I'm grateful for in each of these people. I think if you did something that basic, that simple, it would start to build that muscle very quickly. And Paul is saying, you know, now that I'm in chains, I really miss that guy. Now that I can't go out because of the pandemic, she bugged me, but not that much. I'd like for her to bug me now. Or... I wish I could just tell that person. I, I do a lot of funerals, or I have in the past, and, and this comes up with family members as they grieve. All this gratitude comes out after the fact, and we get up at a funeral and we say, oh, I'm so grateful for these things about this person. Why wouldn't we express those and live with those while they're alive? This is something we can do. It's a lesson from lockdown. If you're taking notes, the third lesson from lockdown is this. It's just the next verse. Pray positively for the people in your life. Have you ever heard that term, pray positively? I kind of just made it up, so you probably haven't. But there is a way to pray that's pretty negative. You know, have you ever heard anyone in that prayer meeting or whatever kind of do the gossip prayer? Dear Lord, I, I just want to lift up Sue because as you know, she's struggling with a few pretty important things. And I just have heard that she is really difficult and she really needs to get her life together. And she, you know, people can almost gossip in prayer or you can just lament all the time in prayer. And it's good to lament. We talked about lamenting and grieving, but, but Paul here says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. You've heard of positive thinking. Have you considered positive praying? I think what happens when we don't pray positively for the people in our lives is we quickly stop praying for them altogether. And when you no longer are praying for people, you have an attitude shift. You see all their flaws. 
and it becomes incredibly hard to be grateful for them. And you start to take for granted. Isn't it interesting, the longer you know someone, the more you see their flaws. When I sit with uh, couples, I've had to do this from time to time with couples who have come to me, and they said, my marriage is just really on the rocks, it's not going well, and it's a weird last-ditch effort to meet with the pastor, and usually one of the spouses just wants to, to, to meet just to kind of check that box or whatever, but usually couples who are headed for divorce, over the years, they have stopped showing gratitude for one another, and they have stopped praying positively for the people in their life. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. He's saying, you're not perfect. Sometimes you're a piece of work. That's, we all get that. I don't need to mention that in this letter. But because you're my partner in bringing the good news about Jesus Christ to a hurting and broken world, I'm going to pray with joy for you. God, I want to see the best in this person. Help me see them the way you see them. The quickest way to fix a dysfunctional relationship in your life is to start praying positively for that person. Lord, would you show this person how much you love him, you love her. Lord, would you give this person favor at work? Lord, would you give this person a deeper sense of how much you care for them? Lord, would you help heal this character flaw in them? Lord, I'm sure there's hurts and habits and hang-ups in this person's life, and, I, and they bug me, but Lord, would you give me greater grace to show them your love in action? Paul is doing this. He does it throughout the letter, and it's worth noting, the Apostle Paul doesn't pull any punches in other letters. It's not like he's afraid to call bad behavior bad behavior. What we're not saying is to just be super positive and avoid conflict and never call anything out. What, what Paul is saying is pray positively and do it regularly. Fourthly, a lesson from lockdown that comes straight from this incredible joy-filled letter is this. Expect God to finish what he starts. Verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That one might be worth memorizing. Being confident of this, are you confident of this? That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Have you guys seen this commercial where they talk, I, I don't remember what it's for, but it's saying you wouldn't accept a half-done job from other, from anyone else. I think it's an allergy medicine or something, but like it shows a dog at the dog trimmer and it's only half trimmed and shaved. It looks crazy. It shows like a lawn only half mowed. The job's only half completed. And it's just a slideshow of things that are half done and it looks wrong and it's weird. But Paul's tapping into something that's super important for you and for me right now, individually and for our relationships. He is saying that God's not going to leave the work half done. He has started something in you. He birthed you. He has prepared good works in advance for you to step into. He saved you. The minute you accepted the forgiving love of Christ, the process of sanctification or making you 
the type of man or woman who thinks and acts and feels like Jesus Christ, the master, that process is ongoing right now, but here's the problem. Have you noticed sometimes you feel like you're not making enough progress? Sometimes you feel like you're kind of stalled, and then a fear creeps in. What if I never overcome this flaw or this whatever? What if what if she never does or he never does? It seems like they're not going fast enough in this process of becoming like Christ. What if God kind of gives up on you? He won't. He can't. Paul is saying, do you, do you know where I get my confidence? Even though I'm on death row, falsely imprisoned, chained to 4,000 different people, barely enough nutrients to keep my body going, broken bones from beatings. Do you know where I get my confidence? My confidence comes from knowing that God began something in me and he will see it through because he's God. This, by the way, should give us incredible patience and grace for people. My little girl Adeline uh, drew me a picture the other day of a face and uh, I was an illustration major for two years in undergrad, so I, I'm pretty good at drawing. Can you imagine what a bad parent I would be if I took the picture that she gave me of the face and said, oh, Adeline, these eyes, they're way off center. The eyes always come right in the middle of the face. There's no shadowing. The nose has no depth. Are you kidding me? You've really overdone it with pink here. There's other colors. This is just subpar work. I would never do that. What did I, oh, Adeline, this is perfect. Is it really? No. But it's perfect for her in the stage that she's in. Maybe that's how God feels about where you are right now. And you just look at your drawing and you just hate it and you feel like this isn't any good. The reason I can be patient with Adeline in her artistic abilities is because it's so obvious to me she's growing. It might not be obvious to her, but I know in a year, in two years, in three years, she's gonna be a lot better at drawing. What if God is more tender and patient and kind than you realize? And what if he's not going to leave you there? What if he'll use everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, the wise choices, the not-so-wide choices, the chains, the lockdowns, the trials, the pain? He'll weave it all together to make you into the character of Jesus Christ. And all you have to do is just cooperate and trust him and be confident that he who began a good work will finish it. Never assume God can't work wonders in a lockdown. Be grateful. Let's be grateful for the people in our lives. Let's pray positively for everyone in our lives. And let's fully expect with confidence that God will finish what he starts. As we journey in this uh, series, we're going to be taking communion every week. And we have these little K-cups. I started these um, in Iraq we would do them before convoys and dust storms. So they're very sanitary, very good for the pandemic. They're a little hard to open. So you just pull the top cellophane there and you get the wafer. On the night that the Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed, he took the Passover bread and he turned to his disciples and he said, this bread is my body. It's going to be broken for you and for the forgiveness of sins for all people who would trust in me. Would you take this wafer now? And just look at it. Consider that this represents God who became a human being who loves each and every one of us so much that he would let his only son 
Jesus Christ be broken for us. Take and eat. After the meal, he took the chalice with wine that represented the promise that God had made with Israel that called back on the sacrifice of an unblemished lamb that was killed and the blood was posted above the door frames of the Israelite slaves so that the judgment that would take the firstborn of all in Egypt would pass over that house and mercy would be extended instead of judgment. And he said, this represents the new covenant. You know what it represented before this moment, the old covenant. I'm fulfilling the covenant. I'm going to be the sacrificial, unblemished lamb. I'm going to let my blood be spilled so that you experience mercy and not judgment. Take and drink. Now would you pray with me? Gracious God, we admit our circumstances right now are difficult, and I pray specifically for anybody who's really going through it, whether they're watching online or here in person. We just ask, Lord, that they would feel your comfort and they would be open to the possibility that you are going to do something incredible. You're going to work wonders, not in spite of this lockdown, but through it. Would you expand our, our uh, holy curiosity about what you will be up to? Lord, help us to be grateful for the people you've placed in our life. Help us to thank you every time we remember them. And, and Lord, help us to just be in prayer and be positively praying for everyone you have placed in our path, expecting you with confidence to finish what you have started in us and in them. Help us to be good students and learn the right lessons in lockdown. In Jesus' name.